0: Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Good evening. You guys are a Bible church, right? Is that cool if we do a Bible study? All right. If you have a a Bible, go ahead and open with me to the Gospel of Mark. At our church, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and it's always good to hang out with Jesus. So we're going to spend some time with Jesus this evening. And the title of my message, for those of you uh, taking notes, is The Easy Life. The Easy Life. Admit it. You've all thought about it, how nice it would be to live on easy street, right? Have you ever thought about how nice that would be, how great that would be? Well, today could be your lucky day because I did a little bit of research on Google and uh, I actually found a house for sale. It's located on 14 Easy Street in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Now, just listen to the way the realtor describes this house. And this is a quote. Experience the newly built waterfront residence overlooking iconic Easy Street Basin. Enter through a private foyer and staircase, arriving in a luxuriously outfitted kitchen, dining, and living space. Enjoy breathtaking views of Old North Wharf, or relax under the shade of an old maple tree from one of two private viewing decks. Three beautifully appointed ensuite bedrooms offer unique kaleidoscoping views of historic downtown. I don't even know what a kaleidoscoping view is, but I want one now, right? With total floor space at 1,900 square feet, there's plenty of room to spread out while being comfortably tucked away from the hustle and bustle of vibrant downtown Nantucket. By the way, I should tell you, I've seen the pictures of this place and it's fantastic, right on the water overlooking the wharf. But I know the question that's on all of your minds, how much is it? And I'm happy to tell you that all of this can be yours for the small price of $4.375 million. That's a lot of money, right? But you'll agree with me that that's a small price to pay for a life on Easy Street. You didn't think it was going to be cheap, did you? But for those of you who have, um, maybe don't have that budget, I did find one other house for sale on a different Easy Street. This one's located in San Marcos, California, not too far from where I grew up. Um, But before you pack your bags and get ready to move there, you should know that it's just like a quarter mile long dirt road that's pockmarked with ruts and potholes. There are two residents and three houses there, but it's a dead end street. (laughs) There's no outlet on that easy street. And perhaps it's fitting that easy street would be a dead end road. Why? Well, because you know as well as I do that it doesn't matter where you live in this world, life can be hard. I remember how jarring it was for me to learn that as a newer Christian. I thought that for sure when I gave my life to Jesus, that life was going to go great and all of my problems would disappear. Boy, was I wrong, huh? Anybody else learn that lesson? Unfortunately... Following Jesus doesn't immunize us from a life of hardship and having to go through trials. And I wish, I really do, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that if you decided to follow Jesus tonight, that your life would be smooth sailing, that all your problems would disappear, and, and that life would be easy from here on out. But you should know that that's just not how it works. In fact, one of the things that Jesus promised his disciples was this. He said to them, in this world, you're going to have hardship. You can count on it. You can take that to the bank. Now, I know I'm a pastor, and I'm probably not supposed to say stuff like this, but I wish that wasn't in the Bible. (laughs) I wish it didn't say that. But it's right there, and it's straight from the lips of Jesus. Now, of course, if you know that verse, you know that he went on to say, yeah, you're going to have trials in this life, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So two things. Life is going to be tough, but Jesus has overcome the world, and he's going to be with us. But here's what I want to talk with you about for a few minutes tonight. What about those times when it feels like he's not with us? Right? There are those times when he walks through a storm with us. In fact, in Mark's gospel, if you just flip a couple of chapters to the left in your Bible, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus finds himself in a storm with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And he's sleeping in the front of the boat. Now, I'm sure they didn't want to go through that storm, but it had to bring them some level of comfort knowing that Jesus was in the boat with them. But in this story, the one we're going to look at here in Mark chapter 6, once again, the disciples find themselves in the midst of a howling storm. But this time, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Let's go ahead and read our text. Pick up with me there in verse 45 of Mark chapter 6. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. How cool is Jesus? He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. I guess so. Immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened notice how our story begins in verse 45 with Jesus making his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake now You guys are Bible students, in the original language, that word there for made, it's it's a forcible word. It means to force or compel. And so you could say quite literally that Jesus sent his disciples into this storm. So much for God never allowing us to go through a hard time. Jesus sends the disciples into this storm. They were in a tight spot principally because they were following Jesus' commands. Now, there's something there for us. You see, I think one of the lessons embedded in this story that God wants us to extract and apply to our own lives and circumstances is this. Just because you're in a tough spot, don't assume that you're in the wrong spot. In fact, I would suggest to you this evening that resistance and hardship and struggle can oftentimes be a good indication that you're right where God wants you, in the middle of His will. You see, we often operate under the mistaken notion or assumption that to be in God's will means that everything's going to be great and we're going to have a great job and we're going to have a full bank account and we're going to have an easy life. And it'd be great if it worked like that all the time, but it doesn't. We conveniently forget that God's will for John was to be exiled, and God's will for Paul was to be imprisoned, and God's will for Peter was to be crucified, and God's will for Jesus was to be crucified. You see, sometimes when you're in the middle of God's will, it means going through hard times. In fact, it's Satan, isn't it, who's always trying to get us to take the easy road out. He's the one that's trying to get us to sidestep the hard stuff and just take the path of least resistance. What that means is if your life is nothing but sunshine and rainbows and butterflies, it could be an indication that you're not walking in God's will. Because God's will isn't always easy. But that raises another question. Why does God allow us or want us or send us into storms? Why does he send us into situations where he knows we're going to struggle? And I think there's a good reason for that. You see, God wants to build our faith. It's one of the main things he's trying to do throughout the course of our lives. He wants to build our faith. And one of the best ways to build strength is to pass through struggle. Anybody in here like to work out, you know, what resistance training is? You know that it's the resistance or the struggle that builds the strength. It's the fight that builds strength. The faith, and I say that to encourage someone in here tonight who finds themselves in the middle of a storm. I'm really not trying to be a downer, but I know that in a crowd this size, there's going to be several of us that are struggling, and we're in the fight, and we're wondering, where is God, and what's He doing? And God wants you to know that He didn't put you in this storm so He could watch you struggle, but He put you in this storm so He could build your strength. There's something else I want you to see. You see, from the mountaintop where Jesus had gone up to pray, verse 48 tells us something instructive. It tells us that He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. I like that. He may not have been physically with them in the boat, but he saw them in their struggle. And the lesson in that for us is simply this. We need to be reminded of the fact that we are never out of God's sight. Somebody say, amen. amen. We're never out of his sight. He, he sees you. You might not be physically with you, but he sees your struggles. He understands your pain. And he knows what you're going through. There's like this old hymn, and sometimes they have some of the, the richest Um, words behind their music, and and some of you will remember this hymn. It goes like this. Let not your heart be troubled, his, his tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I don't know what you're going through this evening. I don't know what struggles you're facing. I don't know what storm you're confronted with in your life, because storms take a variety of shapes and they come in a variety of ways, don't they? But here's what I can tell you. I know that God sees you in your struggle. And I know that he cares about what you're going through. And maybe you would push back on that and you would say, wait a minute, just because he sees me, that how are you you're reading into the text. How do you know that he cares? And here's how I know that he cares, that he doesn't just see you. Because the text doesn't merely tell us that Jesus saw the disciples as they were rowing against the wind, but it also tells us something else that he was doing while they were rowing against the wind. And we find that in verse 46. And here's why this is so comforting. Because while on one level it's nice to know that God sees me, what I really need to know is that he's doing something about my situation. And that's why I draw such great encouragement and comfort from what we read in verse 45 and verse 46, where it says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So he saw them in their struggle, but he was also praying for them in the midst of that. While they were rowing, he was praying. While they were travailing, you could say that Jesus was interceding. He was doing work on their behalf. That's powerful, to know that the creator of the cosmos prays for me in the midst of my struggles. And here's how I know that, that he does that, because Romans chapter 8 tells us this. This is Romans eight thirty Who is then the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, no more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding For us. Amen. And if that's not enough, the book of Hebrews adds this. It says that he lives to make intercession for us. And you know what intercession is? It's it's more than just to make a request on someone else's behalf. That's the word for prayer. To pray is to ask for someone. Interceding is deeper than that, it's bigger than that. It's more than petitioning, too. You see, you can make a petition on behalf of someone that you're not personally invested with. But Jesus isn't just petitioning or requesting on our behalf. The Bible says he lives to make intercession for us. So what's intercession? The word intercede means to plead on one's behalf. It's to pour your heart out. To intercede is to enter the spiritual arena and do spiritual Warfare on behalf of another person. And you need to know tonight that Jesus, at this very moment, is in heaven. And on the authority of God's Word, I can tell you that He's at the right hand of the Father and He's praying for you by name. He's saying, Lord, give them strength. Lord, encourage them. Lord, don't let them give up. Lord, don't let them give in. Help them to endure their present trial and help them to trust you, Heavenly Father. That's what's happening in heaven right now. Jesus not only sees you, he's interceding for you. Now that leads to our next point. You see, not only does this story remind us that we're never out of God's sight. Secondly, I believe it also reminds us that we're never out of God's reach. You See, verse 47, go back there with me. It says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. He was alone on land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And then shortly before dawn, he went out to them. I love this. Not only are we never out of God's sight, secondly, we're never out of God's reach. And while it's comforting on one level to know that God sees me in my struggle, And it's comforting on an entirely deeper level to know that he's praying for me in those trials and tribulations. The most comforting thing to know is that he's coming to me. It says that Jesus went to them. Now, he may not have come in the way that they wanted him to come. He may not have come in the timing that they would have preferred. Did you notice how it says he waited until shortly before dawn? Some of your Bibles might say in the fourth watch of the night. That accounts for the hours between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And my guess is it was a little closer to 6 a.m. And so these guys have been working hard all night wondering where is Jesus in the midst of my storm, but he does come to them. And that's the ultimate point that we need to land on. Because maybe you've heard it said, and and I heard this said as a young Christian that God is seldom early and he's never late, but he's always on time, you've ever heard that? And that makes for good preaching, but man is it hard to live through that. When you're waiting on God to come through, and to heal the cancer or to provide the finances, when you're waiting on God to save the marriage and you're like, tick-tock, God, where are you? It gets really hard. And if I can be transparent and honest with y'all, sometimes waiting on God feels a little bit like waiting at the DMV. And you're number 764, and they don't seem to be in a hurry. And sometimes God doesn't seem to be in a hurry, but here's what we need to remember. Just like the disciples needed to learn. We're never out of his reach and even when he doesn't come in the way that we like or in the timing that we'd like, we can bank on the fact that he is going to come. And you have to give Jesus some style points, don't you? I mean, because he did it, he did it cool. He showed up in style. He came walking on the water to the disciples. He don't need no boat. And I love that. And I think there's even a lesson in that for us, right? Because you have the wind blowing, you have the waves crashing, and, and, and it's, just, it's just this big blur and this big mess, but there comes Jesus, and it's just over all. He's just going for a stroll on the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and maybe he's done that to tell them and to remind us that the things that are over our heads, the things that are out of our control, those things are under his feet. That... The marriage that feels like it's a falling apart, he, that's under his sovereignty, that's under his command, that's under his control. You're out of control teenager that won't listen to you, that's crazy, out of their mind and hooked on drugs, that situation is under God's control. Your addiction that you can't break, that's under God's control. Your spending and you just can't stop spending and the debt is growing, that's under God's control. The things in our lives that are out of our control are under his control feet. But did you notice, this is my favorite, favorite part of this story. It says at the end of verse 48, he came walking to them on the lake. And then notice what it says next. Did you catch this? It says he was about to pass them by. Like, don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Don't tell me that the Bible is boring. You're boring. God's awesome, and his word is awesome. And this is Jesus just going for a stroll and there's the disciples and they're in a boat and they're freaking out and he's just like, and finally, ah, ah, and they realize it's Jesus. And it says he would have passed them by if they didn't call out to them. What is up with that? I think there's even a lesson In that part of the story. And to me, this is the coolest part. And this is the thing that stuck out to me. I'd never seen this before. But when I recently taught this, this is the thing that God impacted in my life to the greatest degree. And here's what he told me. He said, in your storm, in your situation, in your circumstance, whatever it is, at some point, Jesus is going to show up. He's going to come to you. But, if you're not looking for him, if your eyes aren't open to him, in the midst of your circumstances, you might miss him. He might pass you by. And I'll explain that, and tease that thought out, because it's something I see and something that happens all the time. Because it's in the midst of the trial, it's when life gets hard, that we're most likely to lose sight of our Savior. And that's when, when the trial is at its heaviest, that's when it becomes the hardest Stand on his promises and to believe in his goodness when everything in your life is screaming at you that this isn't lining up with what God's word says, and you have to choose am I going to believe what God says or am I going to lean on what I see? Because those two aren't always one and the same. And so, in those moments, we have a choice, and so some Christians they stop looking for Jesus, they stop coming to church, they stop praying, they stop opening their Bible and they say, I was in a storm and Jesus didn't show up for me, and so I'm done. But I've met other Christians who in the midst of their storm, they pressed in and they never stopped looking and though their story still might be messy, they found Jesus and they'll tell you, just like they've told me, that It was then that Jesus became more real to me than he had ever been at any point in my life. And though, although I wouldn't have chosen these circumstances, I wouldn't trade him. The point I'm trying to drive home to you is if you're in a storm, and if you're not, you're going to find yourself in one soon enough, so pay attention. Don't stop looking for Jesus. It could be that your miracle is waiting for you in the middle of your storm. And the greatest trials that we pass through in life are oftentimes the groundwork for our biggest testimony, that God showed up when I didn't expect Him to, and it wasn't in the way that I was looking for, but He was there. All right, one more thing. If the first part of this story reminds us that we're never out of God's sight, and if the second part of this story reminds us that we're never out of God's reach, Then there's one more thing that we need to focus on, and it's this. This story reminds us that we're never out of God's care. Back to our story in the middle of verse 50, it says, Immediately he spoke to them. They were crying out, they're freaked out because there's Jesus, he's walking on the waves. And then Jesus says to them three things He says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Two commands, one statement He says, Take courage. And don't be afraid. Now, taken by themselves, that's not enough, right? I mean, when you're in the middle of a, a really hard situation and someone says, hey, take courage, don't be afraid, everything within you wants to respond with, why shouldn't I freak out? Why should I take courage? Because right now, to me, this seems like the perfect time to lose control and to freak out. And that's why it's so important that we pay close attention to what Jesus said in the middle of those two commands. Why shouldn't we freak out? Why should we take courage and not be afraid? It's because of what we find sandwiched in between those commands. Jesus says, it is I. It's me. Now, now, check this out. This is where it gets really cool. In, in the Greek, quite literally, that phrase, it is I can be translated, I am. We don't need to be afraid because I am is with us. Now, those of you, this is a Bible church. I know you guys study your Bibles a lot, so that ring, that's ringing a bell for a lot of us because you remember that that's the covenant name by which God introduced himself to Moses in the book of Exodus, And Moses says, God, who should I say is sending me? And God says, I am. And maybe Moses is standing there waiting for God to fill in the blank, but God just leaves it as an incomplete sentence. And I think he did that by design because he wanted Moses and us by extension to know that he is and will become to us whatever it is that we need for the moment. Whatever the situation is calling for, God will become that to us. So in the midst of the storm, Jesus can say, I am your peace. I am the calm in your storm. I'm the first and I am the last. I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am before all things and I outlast all things. I'm everything that you want. I'm everything that you need. I am all-encompassing and so what is your situation calling for tonight because we all need a God who can fill in that blank some of you would say I just feel weak and God would say to you I am your strength some of you would say I feel inadequate and he would say I am your adequacy some of you would say I just don't have any more fight in me and he would say I am your shield. Someone with you would say, I feel like I'm on the losing side of this battle. And he would say to you, I am your victory. Whatever it is that you need in this life, you serve a God who is the great I am. And that's the God who was with them. And he's the God who's with you. We got to finish this story up. Look at verse 51. It says, Then he climbed into the boat with them, (laughs) and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed. That is like the understatement of all understatements. As soon as Jesus climbed into the boat with them, it was like immediately the storm calms and the sea becomes placid and calm before them. What is it that causes the storm that rages so often within our souls to abate? What is it that causes... The stormy seas within our souls and our hearts to just calm down. It happens as soon as we invite Jesus into our situation, into our boat. It might just be a dinghy. It might just be a life raft. You invite Jesus into that situation and suddenly you'll find yourself experiencing a peace that passes understanding, as the Bible says, right? It's not a peace that comes from understanding. You still don't know why he sent you into the storm, but he's with you and you find that that's enough. It was Isaiah the prophet, I think chapter 26, verse 3, who said it like this. He said, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When you fix your heart, when you fix your mind on Jesus, the result of that is a peace that passes all understanding. It guards your hearts. It guards your minds. And the reason for that is simple. Peace doesn't come from the absence of storms. It comes from the presence of Jesus in our lives. So the God who sees us is the God who intercedes for us. He's the God who comes to us, and He's always with us. Going back to what I quoted to you at the beginning, Jesus said it like this, in this world, you'll have trouble, you can insert storms. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, we, we think what we want is an easy life, but what if what we really want isn't an easy life, but what we need is more of Jesus? I love how Mark seems to struggle to find words to describe the utter amazement of the disciples in response to this miracle. It says they were completely amazed, and that's understated. If you could really drill down into the, wor- into the original words, you would see that they were out of their mind. They were freaking out over what Jesus had done. But then he adds this commentary in verse 52, for they had not yet understood about the loaves, and their hearts were still hardened. Interesting. This story comes on the heels of Jesus providing a meal for thousands with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And Jesus had already demonstrated his ultimate authority in every situation. And Mark's like, they still were dense, they were slow, they were thick-headed, and they didn't get it yet. And it would be easy for me to stand back and point a long judgmental finger at them as a preacher but the truth is i see too much of myself in them to do that because how many times has the lord brought me through how many times has the lord proven his faithfulness in my life how many times has jesus shown up for me time and time again and proven himself faithful never letting me down never letting me go and yet i find myself in another storm And I'm once again freaking out just like the disciples. And he comes through and he provides and he shows himself to be the great I am and I freak out just like the disciples. It's a lesson that we need to learn over and over and over again. You see, I hope this story has encouraged you today to know that the same Jesus who sends us into the storm sees us in the storm and will steer us out of the storm. Let's pray together. Sometimes we talk about God being all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. There's some theological terms that we use to describe those attributes of God. We say that He's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Now, here's what's cool about that. The word omni means all. So omniscient means all-knowing, omnipresent means all-present, and omnipotent means all-powerful. And if you think about it, those line up perfectly with this story. You see, we're never out of God's sight because God is all-knowing. We're never out of His reach because He's all-present. And we're never out of His care because He's all-powerful. What storm do you find yourself in today? Where are you struggling? Jesus is here. He's in this place. He wants you to know that you're not alone. He sees you. He's praying for you by name. He's lifting you up. He's pleading your cause and your case. And he's coming to you. And my prayer for you this evening is that you wouldn't miss him when he shows up, that you wouldn't allow him to pass you by, but that you would continue to look for him as hard as it is, and that you would invite him into your life, that you would allow him to minister to you because he so longs to do that. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I pray that you would just encourage those who are feeble, that you would lift the heads that are downcast, that you would lighten the loads of those who are weary, Jesus. I pray that you would find us right where we're at and meet us in that spot and encourage us, knowing that you're the great I am.